0: There are so many incredible individuals all around our country who are trying to make a difference. They're impacting their communities through their work, talents, and servant hearts. In this series, you'll get a chance to meet them. Welcome to 50 States, 50 Stories. Well, welcome back, everyone. This is episode five of 50 states, 50 stories. Today's going to be a little bit different than what we've done in the past. Uh, one, it's the first episode in a few months, so it's good to be back. And also, two, instead of focusing on one state, we're going to jump around a little bit today and even travel outside of the states. Um, I am so excited today to welcome a very good friend of mine. Uh, He started out as the assistant professor at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and spent some time at Sam Houston State University before joining the University of Oklahoma faculty, where he served as the dean of the College of Arts and Sciences. He left Norman to become the chancellor at Arkansas State University, where he was in that role for five years. And on April 21st of this year, he was named the 10th president of Texas State University. I am pleased to welcome my good friend, Dr. Kelly Dampfus, or Dr. D, as I call him. Hey Matt, how you doing? Great to see you again. Good to see you too, Dr. D. How's everything going in Texas? It's going well. It's finally starting to
1: cool down a little bit. It's uh, a little warmer in Texas than it is in Arkansas um, and in Oklahoma and uh, where you and I got to know each other really well and uh, but it is it's a uh, it's a great great we're having great fun being back in Texas. You know I was I spent some time here. I went to undergraduate here and uh, uh, went to went to grad school here, and my wife is from Texas. And so it's it is a bit of a homecoming for us and so we're excited to be back here.
0: Well, that's great. Well, I want to start with my first question, uh, just to talk about your journey back to Texas. Um, so you were you were born in Canada. and and so I, I want to hear kind of how from Canada to Texas, and what happened in between?
1: It's a typical uh, Canadian uh, it's not typical at all. There's no typical part of this story. Uh, you know, I grew up in a little fishing village in northern Alberta, up in Canada, and um, you know, I I had no dreams of going to college at all. And then in um, February of my senior year, my dad moved us to southern Alberta, and it seemed like everyone in my high school, in my new high school, was going to college or university. For us in Canada, college is two-year school, and university is four-year school. And I was like, I I'd only only seen like college. On, on in movies and stuff like that, like I didn't know anyone who had actually gone to college. Now, I, I was silly because I know my teachers must have gone to college, but to me, I didn't, I, they never talked about it, so I never even imagined going. Eventually, I had this dream of, of being a police officer once my uh, once I figured out I wasn't gonna be a, a professional hockey player, and um, so I, I saw a poster outside my guidance counselor's office with a law enforcement officer on the poster. And an advertisement for Lethbridge Community College. And so I said, oh, that's how you become a police officer. So I applied really late, like April or May of my senior year. And um, and then I uh, went to community college, uh, did two years there, got an associate's degree in law enforcement. Up there, they call them a diploma. And then I was only 19 when I graduated from college. And I was too young to become a police officer. So I got a job as a prison guard. So I was working in prison. And once you get in prison, it's hard to get out, even as a guard. And uh, I, I realized that my, you know, my, my chance of becoming a police officer are probably pretty limited. And so I ended up, I would just resign myself to the fact that I was just going to be a prison guard for the rest of my career. And one of my instructors found me one day and just, you know, over a course of series, series of conversations convinced me to go back to college. And um, I really measure my life before going back to school and after going back to school and getting that four-year college degree because I really was aimless and I had no, no no, direction. I wasn't very mature, wasn't very grown up. And I didn't have very many options because I didn't have a four-year college degree. And when I went back to school, um, I was a different person. I, I was a, a little bit more mature, a little bit more grown up. and um, And getting that four-year college degree opened up a whole world to me and the fact that I was doing it in a foreign country was also interesting because I went to Texas to go to school, um, but I sold everything I had. I bought a motorcycle, drove down to Texas, um, was going to school. And I met a girl who didn't want to marry a cop or a Canadian. And <laughs> so she talked me into staying in the States. We got married. And uh, and when I we got married, I didn't have a green card. And she was like, how are you going to stay in the States here? And I said, well, I, I don't know what to do. And she said, you should go to graduate school. And... I didn't know anything about graduate school at all. I barely knew anything about college. And uh, she talked me on going to gra- applying to graduate school. I ended up going to Texas A&M to graduate school. And I really was going to graduate school at kind of like as a, as a placeholder. Like I was trying to figure out the next step for me. But next thing you knew, five years later, I had a PhD. And so I just kept kind of plugging away. Uh-huh. And I said, well, I got this PhD. Maybe I'd go get a job somewhere. And so I got a green card and and applied for a job. That's why I took the job at UAB, and then. Uh, went back to Sam Houston, taught for a couple of years back in my alma mater, and then had a chance to uh, have the best experience in the world, going to Oklahoma and spending 20 years there and had such great, uh, broad, you know, uh, experience there had lots of people invested in me over the time and gave me opportunities to, to get new experiences. And then the chance to go be a chancellor at, uh, Arkansas state came about, uh, in and ni- 2017 after 20 years in Oklahoma, um, and it was it was a an unbelievable opportunity. I was scared to death. I was convinced that they would figure out how bad a mistake they made when they hired me, and that I would fall on my face. And uh, as I left my house on the first day of the job, my wife said, "Don't screw this up." And I said, "Oh, great! Thank you for the confidence boost." And uh, but I was petrified that I was going to you know not do well at it. But I one uh, uh, what a mentor once told me. Don't fake it till you make it, fake it till you are it. And so I said, I'm just going to go out there and pretend I know what I'm doing. And next thing I you know, a year passed, and I didn't get fired. And another year passed, people <laughs> seemed to still like what I was doing. And then COVID hit, we had to deal with COVID, um, but had five great years there. And then I got approached about this job at Texas State. And it's a, you know, Texas State is the 25th largest university in the country by undergraduate population. 39,000 students here. It's in the middle of uh, what we call the innovation corridor between San Antonio and Austin. An opportunity to come to a a much bigger university, even bigger than Oklahoma, almost twice the size of Oklahoma. uh, And an opportunity to do something at at the end of my career, as I approach my twilight years as as it would be, um, to do something really special at a really special place. And that's how I find myself in San Marcos, Texas.
0: Wow, that's awesome. And, and you talked a little bit about what your mentor said, who I, that was going to be one of my next questions. Who would you consider or some mentors in your life, and what's some of the best advice you've gotten along your journey uh, to today?
1: That's a great question. I actually talk about these people all the time. I talk about the five people that changed my life, and each one of them was a teacher or a professor. Um and each one of them um, either said something or did something that caught my eye, and that, inspired me to, to, to believe in myself. And, you know, the very first one was my uh, 11th grade teacher um, who was my 10th grade teacher before that. And so I had him for English two years in a row. And I was a good, like my mom taught me to read as a very young person. I love to read. I love to write. And between 10th and 11th grade though, I kind of had a little rebellious experience and um, I'm not proud of some of the actions that happened that <laughs> summer. Um, But when I went back to school, I remember the first day of class, I was in his class and he's a guy that I knew that I love. I love this guy. I mean, he was the coolest guy in the world. And um, but I just couldn't help myself. I was just being kind of an idiot in the back of class. And I was jacking around and and he said, Mr. Danfoss, what happened over the summer that turned your brain to mush? And I'm like, dude, I can't believe you said that to me. And I said I'm going to drop this class, and I was going to like I didn't say that, but I I was going to I storm out of the room and uh-huh. as as I could. And as I was walking out the door, he stopped. He said, "Mr. Dampus, come over here." And he sat on his desk, and I sat in the desk of the front row. And he said, "I embarrassed you, didn't I?" I said, he, "I said, yeah. Why Why you call me out like that?" I said, "Well," he said, "all these boys here um, don't have what you have. You have a you have a gift, You're like." The fact that you like to read and to write and that you're, you're curious, if you wanted to, you could really make something of yourself, but you won't if you keep acting like this. And I went home that night it was the first time an adult ever like said something to me like that, that actually was, was very complimentary like that. Maybe a coach, uh, my hockey coach may have said something good like that, but it was about my athletic ability um, uh, and, and certainly my mom was very supportive, but moms have to be right. Uh, but no other adult had ever done that to me. And so I said, well, maybe, maybe he's right. Maybe I could do better. And and I, I I would love to say that immediately I turned my life around. And I didn't, it took me a long time to figure that out. I was still pretty immature. I was, you know, I was a great, I was a year younger than everyone in my grade. So it took me a long time to figure out, you know, how to be a, a, a human being, let alone a man. And so, um, but the lesson I learned here was that, People are listening and watching you all the time when you're in a position of leadership. Because I wrote, I f- I found him several years later. I went on the internet and I searched, I found his name and I wrote him and said, are you the Jim McNinch that was a teacher in Jay Williams High School back in 1979? And he wrote back said, yeah, that was me. And I said, remember that day that you said my brain had turned to mush? And he said, I have no idea who you are. I don't remember that moment. That moment to me was like a, a significant moment in my life. Like one of the most important, I think about that moment all the time. I get goosebumps thinking about it and he completely dismissed it. Like he had no idea who I was and I waited too long to thank him. And uh, that was another uh, a lesson there. But the the real lesson is that we're influencing people all the time. And he was influencing me in a in kind of a stern way. It wasn't a, it wasn't kind like we didn't hug it out after, um, but um it just re- reminded me that we're always being watched and we're always influencing people. And I, I always try to remember that, that that he didn't realize the impact he was having on me. And in this case, it was good. Now it could have I could have taken it the wrong way. Um, but uh but that was that was a great lesson there.
0: That's awesome. That that is great piece of advice for all of us, definitely always yeah. being watched. Um, and how you can influence. I, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um I want to talk just a little bit about. Tom at OU, because this is how we got to know each other. Sure. Um, your wife, Beth, was the first person me and my family met when we got out of the car to move in, because uh, you all were our faculty and residence um, at Headington Hall back in the day. And I want to just talk about that experience, working and living in the same building and kind of creating this community and really impacting the students. When you hear the word community, kind of what goes through your mind uh, and how do you view community? Yeah, that's a great
1: question. You know, uh, I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit about why we became faculty and residents, and build up to the answer. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you when you go to graduate school, I went there, as I said earlier, just kind of as a placeholder, I didn't have really have a plan. But eventually I said, well, I want to be a teacher. I guess I can be a, co- I guess that's how people become professors. And And to me, being a professor meant being a teacher. And I didn't realize being a professor meant mostly doing research and teaching was kind of a side gig. And over time, I discovered that my graduate degree was almost exclusively about teaching me how to be a researcher and not at all about teaching me to be a teacher. And uh, when I went to uh, start working as a faculty member, it became very clear to me what what was valued the most was my research and not my teaching. I didn't have any teaching classes. I never learned. No one ever taught me how to be a teacher. In fact, Mm -hmm. people didn't really care much about what I was teaching or if I was teaching. It was mostly about what I was publishing. And uh, that's a it's kind of a sad commentary on higher education in America today but but research was definitely the focus and to me i kind of lost my i don't want to say innocence but my desire initially had been to be a teacher and it that got kind of beaten out of me and then my desire became to be a researcher and that was that's where all the glory was getting your name on an article getting published having people come to your your conferences, conference sessions when you're presenting a paper and so on. And I lost kind of that value of the teaching and what happens between the student and a class and a, and a professor. Mm-hmm. And as you know, at, at, at Oklahoma, they have a, a program for freshmen called Camp Crimson. And I got selected to be a namesake for Camp Crimson. This is a, they bring freshmen in and they do a lot of orientation and uh, you have these three namesakes and each namesake has about 300 students that are broken up into three different groups and so on. And I started interacting with all these incoming freshmen. And I said, man, I, I kind of forgot that I, I got in this business to help these people. And so I said, I want to teach an introduction to sociology in the past. I didn't want to teach introduction classes. That's for graduate students, for adjuncts. I want to teach graduate seminars and maybe the capstone class for seniors. But the, but the value of a research professor was teaching graduate students and doctoral students, not teaching freshmen. But the Camp Crimson experience reminded me about my passion for young people going to college and about the life-changing experience that i had i started seeing young people who are as petrified as i was as a freshman and they're hiding it better than i was because i was not hiding it well at all i was i walked around with like everyone knew i was panicked the whole time because i had no i had no filter but i i said i'm gonna start teaching introduction to sociology and then i found out about the faculty and residence program which is where a faculty member lives in a residence hall with a freshman dorm at ou And I talked to my wife, our kids had graduated, they're off to college. I said, hey, this is a time for us to kind of reinvest in the ideal of of higher education. She bought into it. She's way better. I'm kind of introverted. She's an extrovert, as you know, because you know her very well. And she said, hey, that sounds like fun. So we signed up to be a faculty and residence member uh, in Heddington Hall. And that's where we met you and and had great experiences. We had 387 students living in that residence hall. And she knew everybody by the end of the year. I knew most About half of them at most. <laughs> um, but you asked originally the question about community. And I love when I think about the word community, I love breaking it down into parts. And it's about coming together in unity. And so I love, what I love about community is bringing people together and trying to find a unifying spirit. And when we were faculty in residence, we started right on day one, on move-in day. We had a big celebration event, movie on the lawn, and we had I don't know if you were there when we had the wild animals come in so oh, we had yeah a, uh this kind of this was before um what, what's the name of that guy the uh the lion king
0: and oh, uh, 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 joey's uh, Joe tiger, tiger,
1: <laughs> tiger king before tiger King was famous we had one of his competitors come in and bring his like, pet tiger and stuff like that and his lizards and so on these exotic oh, gosh. animals and so we're trying to we wanted kids to get out of the dorm and come out into the courtyard area and hang out with us and start to build community and so we started doing late night waffle breakfast because that's what we did at our house. We, we would have our, our kids come together after church or late at night. We say, hey, let's have breakfast. We'd cook waffles and bake it up. And we started doing that in the common area. And the idea is for students to come out and hang around And, and I love the fact that kids would come down wearing their pajamas uh, in, the, <laughs> in, the, in the lobby and they would eat waffles and, and hang out with us. And, and I would sit with them. I wouldn't like sit with me and her together in our private little area. We would sit with them trying to build community. We, we realized that when people find a home together in a place like a residence hall or a college campus, they feel more connected, they feel more connected, they feel more engaged, they feel more engaged, they're more likely to stick around for a while and less likely to drop out of college and more likely to ultimately graduate. So building community on a college campus uh, drives almost all of what I do when I'm thinking about student success because trying to trying to not replace their family and their friends from back home, but to create a new opportunity for, for students to learn how to create a whole new set of friends. And, uh, and for as many students, it's a fresh start too. You don't, you're not locked into what you were defined as in high school. If you were a, a jock or a nerd or whatever, uh-huh. um, you kind of start over again and, and to give kids an opportunity to kind of start a whole uh, U 2.0. And so, um, and so that's what we're all about there and uh, trying to create community in at residence hall. And if I miss anything about OU when we left there, the hardest thing was leaving Heddington Hall because we loved what we were doing there. We felt in many ways, it was a mission for us. Um, I don't wanna get too spiritual about it, but we felt like that we were playing a a role that was really important in some people's lives. Uh, But it was also selfishly really fulfilling for us to have those kind of relationships and meet someone like you. And to see you come in as a freshman, and then, and I'm not sure we're going to talk about this later, but I'm going to jump ahead in our <laughs> life here, where you had this idea about f- starting a food pantry. And I said, dang, who's this kid coming up with the idea? And I said, food insecurity, what's food insecurity? And you taught me about food insecurity. And I said, dang, let's what can I do to help him build a food pantry? And to see you come in as a little 18-year-old freshman, and then three years later, you're running this food pantry with thousands and thousands of dollars of budget and managing Volunteers and so on. To me, selfishly, that just completely filled my bucket to see kids like you do that kind of stuff, and that's why I loved building and living in part of that community.
0: Oh, Doctor D, thank you, thank you for that. And uh, I tell you, we miss having you here at OU. Um, I, I got to tell you, that's and you're right. We're, I was going to m- mention this too because I wanted to thank you for all your help with that project. As we faced uh, some some challenges during that process. You and and your team and Jenny Hill, you know, really helped us get that project back on track. So uh, it has been an incredible resource that has grown over the years. And so I wanted to say thank you. And and the next question with that, as an administrator, when you see a project like that, and you talk about, you know, filling your bucket, when you see students that take an idea and they run with it and, and it benefits campus or beyond... How, how's that make you feel besides, you know, filling your bucket and you probably, you already answered this, but seeing the future has got to be bright for our country, right? When you see students like this, right? Yeah. And that's, that's
1: another thing that I love about my job is, is I'm, I'm close to 60 years old. I'll be 60 in March. And I don't feel 60 because I get to hang around with young people a lot. And last night we had a scholarship banquet for students who had gotten a certain, uh, this, this, uh, scholarship program. And, um, and I got to hang out with these students that are um, not just interested but interesting. And, to, and I always tell people, like, tell me your Texas State story. How did you get here? And to have them kind of tell the story, and so many of them coming from tough backgrounds like I did. Like I, I grew up in the trailer court, you know. And so I, and I, my my mom went to grade nine, and my dad went to grade twelve. And so I'm a first generation college student. I was a poor kid with no goals or ambitions, and just kind of floating through life and a lot of these kids come from the same kind of background so I did I see myself in there in their eyes but they were so much more prepared psychologically emotionally and intellectually than I ever was and so much i mean i i i couldn't spend 5 5 minutes with myself at that age cuz i was just i just a turkey you know I, we, that's an old fashioned saying for kind of like a a dummy and so but these these young people are they they understand the opportunity they're being given. they've been given this incredible gift and they appreciate it. And And they know that what they're doing at this moment is gonna have a life-changing experience, not just for them, but maybe for their siblings who will follow behind them, but certainly for their children and their grandchildren and so on. And they're making the most of it. And when I was, if I was them right now, I'd be sitting in my dorm room playing video games. We didn't have video games back then. I didn't even have a TV or a phone or anything. I was so yeah. broke. No cell phones, but I just wasn't thinking like they think, and they think like like what, uh, one, one of the students said, "Hey, I have a podcast. Do you want to be on my podcast?" I said, "Who has a podcast? Oh, do a <laughs> podcast tomorrow with one of my former students." But oh, uh, they have businesses, and they want they want to start businesses, and they want uh, one of them has a YouTube channel, and she did a little video with me, and I said, "You have a YouTube channel? Yeah, I I, I actually make money on my YouTube channel. Like I, I I'm so amazed by." the innovative spirit and the drive and the capacity of the young people today. And it's easy as an old person, uh, who doesn't hang around with these young people to go, Oh, the pink hair and the piercings and the tattoos and, you know, this generation not caring and so on. Um, I don't see that at all. I can see past the pink hair and the stuff because, because part of that represents kind of a free spirit and, Mm -hmm. and not being locked in, To being like everybody else, which I think is also part of the innovative spirit that we need in this country. Mm -hmm. And what I love about Texas State is this is a place you can come to and you don't have to like become like everyone else. You can be yourself here and become the version of yourself that you want to be, which I think is really cool.
0: Exactly. I've got just a few more questions for you. I know we're getting close on on time, but kind of going back in, in talking about continuing with community, one thing that impresses me, I mean, just I saw it at OU and then following you at Arkansas State and now Texas State, is that you really get it building those connections with students. Uh, you are one of the most personable human beings I've ever met because you, you, you care. I, you can see that on any Facebook post where you're taking pictures with alums or students or uh, doing things with the football team, anybody, I mean, you see the passion, you're all in. And from things like when you talked about the late night breakfast or i've got a old, uh, old picture of us from a costume party at halloween uh, you are in your uh, canadian going, you mountain have, yeah, yeah, yeah outfit i'm wearing that. like American flag suit yeah. or something, you know, um, you know, you do monthly videos to just inform the alums what's going on at the university. You've done golf cart rides with students like your first week of classes. You rode in on a motorcycle at a game. I mean, it, I love the passion. And when you, and you talked about it, I mean, earlier, but making that connection is, is really who you are. Um, and I really wanted to read these. i found a couple of quotes off of Facebook, some things that you posted um, that I wanted just to share with you. These are, I'm assuming probably some of the alums have said, but one of the quotes was, your devotion to this university and the students is refreshing. Another quote was, I love how you engage in the San Marcos community. It's so awesome. Another, love seeing you everywhere engage with students. And then the last one, we love our new Texas state president, eat them up cats. When you hear those comments, how does that make you feel? Because you are truly engaging with people.
1: Wow. Thank you. I'm uh, trying not to get too emotional responding, <laughs> but here, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how it makes me feel. It makes me feel uh, humbled for the most part. And it makes me feel thankful because I had a great experience with a great mentor named Ben Crouch, who is my master's degree thesis supervisor. And, uh, When I was having my first child, he was my, my advisor. And I was actually going to drop out of grad school. I didn't get it. I was struggling. And the chair of the department was walking. we were walking down the hallway past each other. And she said, how's it going? Like, kind of like, hi, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, I'm thinking about dropping out of college. (laughs) You know, it was like, she was not ready for that. And we started talking. I said, I'm just not getting it. I don't. I'm a criminal justice person and I don't get sociology. That was the PhD I was pursuing. And she said, have you met Ben Crouch? And I said, I don't even know who he is. And she said, well, he studies prisons and he used to work in a prison. So maybe you have something in common. It was like two or three in the afternoon on a Friday afternoon. We go to his office, he's in there. She says, hey, Ben, would you talk to this young man? He's really struggling. And that that meeting, uh, and I, I should ask him if he remembers that meeting, he probably does. <laughs> but um, that meeting was another turning point in my life. I literally was thinking about dropping out like the next week. And I, and if Mary's eye hadn't walked by and said, how's it going casually? And if I hadn't said, I'm thinking about dropping out, my life would have been totally different, but he took me under his wing. And, and while I, 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 I didn't have uh, the closest relationship with my dad and it was different because he's in Canada and I'm down here, but he became like a father figure to me, especially when I started going through graduate school and, um, so he just helped me get kind of get through some tough stuff. And, and so in 1991, as I'm nearing the end of my master's, uh, thesis, he and I are riding in a car together and we're riding to Brownwood, Texas to collect some data from some juvenile delinquents about Satanism. That's my, my master's thesis on Satanism. And we get to Brownwood and just, as we pull in the parking lot, it starts pouring down rain. So we just sit in the car waiting for the, to, to pass by. And, uh, he, uh, uh, he, he's mentoring me about being the difference between being a father and a dad. He said, anyone can be a father, but not everyone's a dad. Biologically you become a father, but socially you become a dad. And he was talking about this and I was about to have my first child. And I said, boy, I'm going to have a boy and he's going to play football and baseball and he'll be famous and I'll make a lot of money because of him and so on. And he said, if you're lucky, you'll have girls because I think you're more of a girl dad and boy dad and if Of course, you know, that's what I had had Mm -hmm. two beautiful daughters, but it was kind of an emotional moment for me as, because I'm kind of an emotional guy and I was about to have my first child and, and, um, and we were having this really deep conversation in the middle of a rainstorm. And at the end of it, I don't know why I asked him this, but I just felt like this emotional moment where I said, Dr. Crouch, how can I ever repay you for what you've done for me? I can't, I don't even know why you're doing this. Why did you drive me over? from college station. To, why'd you bring me in the car? And why'd you, why'd you help me not drop out? I don't I don't understand that. And how can I ever repay you? And he said uh, to me, it was kind of funny. His response was, Kelly, you don't have anything I want. So there's no way you can repay me. And I thought, well, I was expecting more of a kumbaya moment
0: here. <laughs> but,
1: but he did say, someday you'll be sitting behind the wheel of the car and there'll be someone else in the pastor's seat. I don't know where you'll be in your life but you'll have the opportunity to do for someone what I did for you. And that's that's when you repay me by not forgetting that. And so that's another moment. It's one of six or seven moments of my life. I'll never forget. I got goosebumps now thinking about it. A moment in my life where a mentor explained to me why he did what he did. He didn't do it for him. He's not. He was not investing in me. So I would say nice things about him or that I would pay him back later on but he was doing it because he wanted to help me. And and he hoped that by helping me, I would be able to help other people. And you think about the the tentacles of that, of all the people that he helped over the years, how they have all reached out. And by him helping 10 students, those 10 students helped 10 other students. And his gift was to have 100 students out there. And so sometimes a student will write me a thank you note. And I'll say, you should write Dr. Dr. Crouch a thank you note, because I did that because of what he did for me. There's countless times when students have asked me to do something, I'm like exhausted. And I never say, if I can be there, I'll never say I can't be there because I think back to Dr. Crouch. He said, someday someone's going to ask you for something. And, and that's, that's what, that's when you can pay me back. And to me as an associate Dean, as a Dean, as a faculty in residence, as a chancellor, and then as a president what people are looking for is relationships oftentimes. They feel like like they're alone. They don't know who to talk to. And that's why I, like, when I first started this job in Texas State, like, my first week was just meetings. I just met with people in my office. I said, I got to get out of the office. And so that's why I got in the golf cart, and started driving <laughs> on the golf, golf cart rides. So I want to meet people. And today I had this thing, I started this new thing called Kindle with K-DAMP. So Kindle is a term for a group of Bobcats. It's kind of a,
0: uh-huh.
1: a, a kind of a slang term for a group of Bobcats. So we're doing this kindling together. And we just brought like 15 students together. They had to sign up to come, come meet with me. I didn't have an agenda. I just wanted them to talk to a president. And and actually some of them were like asking about parking and some of them had some tough academic questions. Um, but then some, it's like, how do you become a president? Like and I said, I'm glad you asked that. And so here's, here's how it happened if you want to become one, don't do what I did because I didn't, this was not very well planned. Um, but for them to walk away at the end of the day, having spent an hour and a half with the president, that's, I, I hope that's a memory that they can walk away with saying, I remember back in 2022, uh, I got to hang out with the president for an hour. And I, I did that over lunch and I skipped lunch doing it. And you can, you know me, I can afford to skip a few lunches and stuff. But it was the only time I had that I could squeeze into there Uh, But to me, there's no better hour and a half spent today than to invest in those young people, engage with them, and that they take something away with it. And I'll tell you, I'm going to cry if I say this. I looked down at one of our students' shoes, and she had written uh, TXST, which is Texas State, and a heart and K-damp on her shoe. And now, if she got a tattoo, I'd even be more impressed by that. (laughs) But I thought, I mean, that just that made me feel like I'm doing something right. And, and again, I get kind of emotional thinking about it, that, that I'm fulfilling the pledge I made to the university when they hired me to the students, the freshmen, when I came here, I said, I will be there for you and to Dr. Crouch who did that thing for me. And for all the other people who invested their themselves into me, that the five people or the 10 people that changed my life forever, that that's a fulfillment of that pledge. And so it's, um, it's a work of love and of appreciation and thankfulness and and humility and humbleness and all those things kind of wrapped together. And it's a thing that gets me up in the morning and, and keeps me up at night thinking about what can I do tomorrow?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I, you are making that impact and it's, I love to see it. I love to see all your posts on Facebook and see kind of what you're up to. and And, and you just see that. Um, the last question I've got for you, and I've done it on every episode, I asked my guests if you could describe the word home in, in one word, what, what would that be to you?
1: Safe. That'd be the one word. Um, to me, when you go home, you're safe. And um, again, try not to get emotional about this too. So it's an emotional day. Thanks, <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so... Um, there have been times in my career when I felt, um, you know, really challenged either, either faculty were upset about something and I had a really rough interaction with somebody, or I made a mistake in the classroom and said something I should, I should have said it a different way, or I said something to offend somebody, or I just, I, I messed something up and I would go home at the end of that day. And my kids would give me a hug and my wife would tell me it's okay. Okay it was just an honest mistake. You'll be all right. To have people the home is not the building, not the space. It's the people who are in there. And there's probably a hundred times in my life when I went home and my kids and my wife without realizing it rescued me from that day because we all have demons, right? We are all struggling. And I struggle more than anybody because I lack confidence. I'm don't, I'm not, um, uh, I, I've, I I'm always worried that people are going to figure out that I'm totally faking it. And, um, and I'm always worried about what people think about me and so on. And for them to say, I don't care what people think about you. I love you because of who you are. And those people know me better than any, I can't fake it to death. You know, like she knows me better, not better than I know me. She knows me and uh, my kids know me. And they're just honest with me, but they love me unconditionally. And so I feel safe when I'm with them. And I don't have to let my, I can let my guard down with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I, when I think about and Hall, we tried to create a safe space for people. And I know we talk about safe spaces as if that's a terrible thing. What's a terrible thing about having a safe space for someone to create a place where they can be comfortable saying what they believe. There's nothing wrong with that. And so, um, so that's a great question. I've never been asked that question before. I hope that my answer made sense because um, as I, Walked worked my way th- through it. I couldn't think of a better word to describe
0: it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's a great great way to wrap up this episode, Doctor D. Thank you so much for I I enjoyed this time. It was great to talk about some good old memories there and and just hear your, your story as well. Um, and again, just thank you for who you are, uh, for the impact that you're making. I know that Texas State, they already love you. They're going to love you the whole time you're there because you're making that impact. So thank you for joining me on this episode. Um, And thank you for everyone who tuned in to listen to episode five. Uh, we'll, We'll catch you next time and go out and make a difference. Take care.